tonight we have a special guest. We're going to be talking about the Delphi case. We're going to be talking about the Idaho case with Brian Koberger, Richard Allen, and Delphi. Today is the seventh year anniversary of when the bodies were discovered for Libby and Abby. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest. He is a uh, re- real uh, real CSI, a criminal scene investigator, formerly uh, retired, formerly also law enforcement. His name is Steve, and he has a YouTube channel called uh, True Crime Web. What is up, Steve? How you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. appreciate this opportunity, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had a you know good time last time you were on. We had a lot of you know good positive feedback about about the show. And, you know, since then, there's been a lot of questions um, that have come through, whether they're in comments or emails that, you know, I thought that it'd be good to get your expertise on. And so with that being said, uh, first and foremost, I want to get your opinion on on the Delphi case and where they're at right now. Last time we spoke, I, I think since then, the attorneys were let go. They've been put back. And now there's, you know, I, I think there's a hearing coming up, uh, a motion to dismiss due to some exculpatory evidence. What are your thoughts on all that before we get into the evidence aspect? I think that this whole case is something that uh, I, I've never seen so much um, unknown paths uh, that we go through with the court system. Every court hearing has been uh, avenues opened up about something that we've never seen in our court system, which is good in one aspect as far as that it exposes us to see how that the courts are self-writing and uh, oversight. But this case, there's issues with not only the crime scene processing, but of some of the new lost evidence as far as recordings being uh, made over each other. I expect that when the trial does occur, there's going to be some officers that's going to have some difficult uh, testimony. They're going to have some hard times up there because they're going (laughs) to, and rightly so, you know, you don't want to lose of any case. You don't want to lose any type of evidence and critical recording. Plus, what does the, uh, uh, the appearance of this cause, and we can see it, in the social media platform of that. Well, it's a cover-up. Things are happening and occurring. And um, it's, it's just one big mess. Um, I just, it, it's amazing. I can't, you know, what would be the next step and what would be the next hurdle? No way I can predict it because no one's predicted how we got here. Yeah. Yeah, it sure has been. It's been crazy. You know, I, when I first heard that there was a, you know, a cult-like real uh, ritualistic uh, aspect to this case, I thought that was kind of hocus pocus stuff. And then the more things start to happen, the more I'm like, man, there's some, not so much stuff that I think is, I wouldn't go to the nature of shady or that there's something intentionally going on here, but there's something going on. And now you have this aspect where they deleted evidence to me, I think that it's going to be very difficult to get a conviction in this case because of some of the mishaps that the police have done in this case. Well, let's get into some of it. One of the things that has just kind of been brought up is the the bullet that was found, the unspent round. It was found apparently at the second securing of the scene. Apparently there was a first securing where the bodies were. They took you know their pictures and whatnot and took the bodies and didn't process the scene. They left, then they went back, secured it again, and at that securing is when they found the bullet. How common is is something like that where you find evidence like that at the second go around? Well, I've experienced it myself as far as processing vehicles and uh, when you have things. uh, I mean, we missed, uh, I think one time someone uh, uh, had uh, 12 to 15,000 grand hidden inside of the vehicle on a drug deal that was missed during the original search. The family said, hey, there's money in that car. So I had to go back and eventually found it, had to tear it apart. Whereas originally we were just working a uh, homicide that occurred in the front seat. Uh, we 
weren't into processing a inaccessible area of this vehicle that where the money was hidden. That was the uh, one of the um, keys of why the homicide occurred for this robbery. But for this outdoor scene and uh, a bullet uh, of such a horrible crime and law enforcement knowing that there was a firearm involved and not being able to find that bullet. Yeah, there's a, a metal detector should have picked it up. Was it a failure of the equipment? Did they not use metal detectors? Did they recover it that first day? There's still that possibility it was recovered during the first search. We don't know the uh, the uh, timeline or the evidence sheet, which will reveal the exact date that law enforcement placed their hands on that bullet. So typically then, you know, if they're going to go back, there's there's a reason to go back. Yes. Right? If, if you just go in there and halfway do things and then you have to go back time and time again, bad on you. Um, it's a, you know, that's not the way you operate. When you leave that crime scene, there should not be anything. If you go in there and look at some of the FBI uh, training videos of outdoor crime scene processing, you'll see that when they go in there and they remove all the ground debris, that it looks like a garden. You, you just have dirt there. And so you know that's been screened. Everything's been raked back. Metal detectors been processed through there. Who was in charge? What steps were taken? Those are questions that we'll find out in court. Uh, was the bullet dismissed using it? Or uh, I mean, that's just something we don't have the answer for. But we know at some point there was a bullet found. And how did it get there? And it does open up a, a window of opportunity of a crime scene that was unsecured that either be planted or the offender uh, or the accused. Let's put it that way, the accused, while he's denied ever being on that property, he may not realize that that was the property. And I don't know where Ron Logan lives. I don't know what right. Logan owns. And have I been to the Creekside? Absolutely. I was there. I was within a few hundred feet of it that day. Mm-hmm. And, um, is that an out that his attorneys and him may explore during testimony? Possible. Who knows? Yeah. And well, the other concerning thing is his location. I think that the uh, description of his location in the probable cause affidavit was in between the bodies. So it was relatively close. I, I think that the bodies were probably about two, three feet apart. And so somewhere in between there, it's not a very large area that they would have, um, you know, had to have searched and gone over. From my understanding, is it, it was buried. That would tell me that, in my opinion, that it was probably dislodged due to a struggle. And during the process, slide went back, it came out. And during that struggle, you know, it got buried with the feet, uh, you know, kicking it underneath the dirt because the dirt was there. I don't think you can just merely step on it and it'll get dirt over. In fact, let's look that up. You, you did some tests on that. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. I'm, uh, I, actually, I still have uh, some uh, testing I'm uh, conducting currently. Uh, I have some rounds I've uh, dropped on top of the leaf debris here. Now, then I scrape back the earth and place some bullets and then uh, uh, unspent rounds on the ground. And I stepped on all of these. And this is in the position of this. Um, but uh, I've also will be conducting some of trying to bury a bullet that's left on top of the uh, leaf debris and, and trying to push it through that surface. I've tried it a couple of times. It's not easy to get it in this position when there's little sticks, twigs and brush. As I continue the test, we'll have more and more information about. But I did realize even in the early stages of going back and pulling the first bullets after day one, that when you pull those bullets, there is some soil that comes with them. Um, And if they have soil samples collected, um, they will be able to establish that that bullet package came from that location. So people won't be able to say that, well, I found a bullet there. And um, where is the the soil? And um, and be able to test that soil because I don't know who found the bullet, don't know where they found it. Um, mm-hmm. I know where they say they found it, but there's ways of testing that and doing comparisons that might 
bring in some doubt that if that soil sample doesn't matches doesn't match the crime scene, there might be issues. Right. Well, yeah, that would that that definitely would be an issue. Um, but you know, to me, I think that would be very difficult to plant to plant a. Uh, Especially if it was like like law enforcement, I think that that's kind of like one of the the theories that is going out there that maybe law enforcement planted it or something. You know, for them to plant it and then wait five years to arrest a guy, that's kind of weird. I don't I don't think that <laughs> that jives. You know, he, here you have these bullets being pressed in. It brings me the question: if if you were in charge of this scene, you you, you have the bodies, um, you would process. I'm assuming the sticks first because they're on top, and you would go from the top to the bottom. Uh, would all the leaves be picked up? You know, would it be left bare like this? How, how much, how, how would you process the scene? Well, of course, it always starts from the first officer arrives on the scene and secures the scene and creates that uh, uh, crime scene taped off area. And then, of course, then you look for how did the offender enter? How did he leave? And try to protect those easily areas of travel, of, of ingress and egress and protect those areas and don't walk them yourselves. You know, you have to hey, go in there and bushwhack, come in an area that we know he didn't uh, either come in or leave through those areas, trying to protect as much as possible because he may have injuries to himself, uh, mm -hmm. whereas he may have a blood trail that we just don't see yet. And we may have, you know, in daylight sometimes uh, uh, finding blood trails isn't that easy. With some chemicals and low light, you can absolutely um, identify them. I mean, they just jump out at you when they're like with luminol in mm -hmm. low light conditions. But uh, the uh, the processing would be that from the first uh, vision or visual inspection of the areas, looking for evidence and how can I collect this evidence and not destroy shoe prints, footprints, blood evidence, uh, dropped evidence such as <laughs> bullets or anything of this nature that you might find. And uh, it's a long process uh, because you will go through layers. If you had those sticks, if you had leaves, and then because not only that, but you're looking for certain points of uh, confrontation. Mm -hmm. If it's violent crime and and, and you have individuals that are not under control, people don't die easy. They fight their struggles. If they're not controlled or if they're, if they have any life in them and awareness, people fight, you know, you have fight or flight. And if you can't flee, people fight. Uh, there is a, a survival instinct in all of us. You would look for those areas of disturbance and leaf patterns, because that's where you're going to find the uh, different types of that. If we have a sharp edge uh, weapon, you'll have the um, cast off. You'll have uh, pools of, uh, of possible different types of uh, body fluids or even blood. And that's what you look for. And you identify those areas because in those areas is where the confrontation, the violent encounters occur. And that's most likely where you're going to have the hair, the fiber, the transfers, because how many times, uh, in your career, have you went and you've seen two individuals get in a fight and there's not some type of hair pulling? And, uh, and of course, hair is critical uh, uh, if you can collect it and find it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think in this situation, there is a possibility, given the age of the victims, if they froze, they may not have grabbed any hair. But, you know, having hair being pulled out, if they fought or any of those type of things, you try to run away. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so to this picture, this is a test that you did uh, yes. to show you know, bullets being pressed into the ground. Now, all you did was merely step on these bullets. Is that correct? Yeah, this area here is in Georgia. Uh, I've been to the crime scene several times. I uh, went to the actual where the girls were located, stood there, looked at the properties across the creek, Deer Creek, and from the cemetery, I've uh, traveled it both in daylight and in total darkness to see how to uh, uh, 
uh, be how easy it would be able to uh, traverse in those areas. And it's extremely difficult. It's not easy. There's this test here, like I, I said, I conducted it here on the property here in Georgia. Um, I have some that I just dropped on top of a leaf pattern, leaf debris, and tried to step on and bury them. They're currently setting up there um, exposed to the elements, and we're doing time trials on them to see if we can determine how long that bullet is was exposed to the elements. In this part of the test, I have um, these three rows of uh, bullets. Uh, I have a, a, a nickel brass uh, round that's on the left, uh, the shiny ones to the left, um, and then um, I have just a regular brass round uh, that's next to it. And then as you come across, this is a steel case uh, round, and then to the right is aluminum. Now, they're not all nine millimeters um, or 40 cows, which was recovered. The 40 cows are the first two to the left, but I didn't have uh, the full uh, selection of 40 calibers that had steel casing and aluminum casing. Uh, so I just used different calibers because they'll still age the same and uh, show the same characteristics of exposure. But yes, I scraped back the dirt. So as if you would try to simulate some type of out encounter where you will have uh, exposed earth, bullet falls, it gets stepped on and ground into the ground. That's what this is supposed to uh, rep uh, replicate. Mm. And um, I'll go collect these. I'm going to be collecting some, another set tomorrow. And then uh, 30 uh, days from the time I put them out there, I'll collect those final ones and start fingerprinting and processing them and photographing them so that we can see what happens to the uh, uh, patina or as you know, certain materials are as they age and are exposed, they take on certain characteristics and are tarnished. And that's what we're going to be looking for and seeing if you can timestamp how long the bullet's been left out in the dirt. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing that to, just to kind of get an idea, you know, especially like, like they said, this was a bullet that was found at the second uh, investigation of the scene, uh, according to court TV. I don't know how accurate that is. I haven't seen it myself. Uh, but you mentioned that you've um, gone out there and you put, uh, you know, bullets on the floor on top of uh, on top of leaves and tried to bury them. You did that with your feet as well. Yes, yes. Uh, boots and um, let's see, uh, tennis shoes. Both on either one of them is difficult. Uh, but I'll go and do some uh, uh, video and uh, and show you the process. And can you tell that you were trying to do that? Like, is there an obvious scene there? Yes, you, it takes quite an effort to get it through the leaf pattern and um, and. So, I mean, it, it's not something that you wouldn't see at a violent encounter. And we know that if uh, uh, Libby and Abby, you know, Libby was a, a pretty good size uh, athlete. Mm -hmm. And um, so she could have put up quite the struggle. And so you could have that. The reason the round was uh, ejected and found here is due to some type of manipulation with the firearm herself or him bringing it in to threaten them. Mm -hmm. Just don't know. But regardless, if the bullet wound up on the ground, and was ste uh, stepped on and ground in, it would take not just walking. Uh, walking will not indent and place that round buried. I've been there, and I know the ground um, at that time of year can be frozen, although it, it, the temperatures were higher and it hadn't frozen. The uh, temperature were above freezing for several days in that time frame or hovering right around the freezing temperature. If the bullet had landed in an area that might have been low-lying and muddy, then that might explain how you could bury a bullet with a single step. But that'd be the only. Uh, I think you, I think you may have answered it. They they walk through the they walk through the river or the creek. 
uh, he most likely had mud on his feet if he stepped on it. And in that part of that area had mud, then that's how it probably imp- impressed himself here. And then the and then the mud on top of it, because the problem is for me is, you know, they didn't find it until the second go around, which means there wasn't anything visible for them to have seen if they're you know obviously there for them to have seen. Some, I, I feel that if they would have seen the area where it was dug in, it would have been obvious, you know, movement, like you mentioned, you know, things would have been disturbed there. And they would have probably found it day one unless the guy had mud on his shoes, pressed it in like this, and the mud covered over it and then dried up within the next few days. Very possible. But uh, it, it'd have to take some uh, uh, extenuating circumstances to get it buried because it's not easy. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, if I went to a mud hole and stepped on a bullet, I can make it go outside. Um, mm-hmm. But just stepping on the leaf debris itself and um, the ground cover there, I've been there, like I said, both uh, winter and summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a good bit of ground debris. It wouldn't be easy, but there's also um, some thin areas that if that bullet landed in a certain low-lying area, that it's possible um, if conditions are right to bury it just with a footstep, especially if you cross the creek, as you say, that if you go up that embankment and we see all the mud in the world on those embankments, that if he came up it and from the images that are there, you can see that um, there are certain transfers as far as the victim uh, clothing that there is mud. And so... Uh, they would have came through that muddy area, and it could be just as simple as a, a, a muddy uh, uh, with heavy lugs that would have buried that bullet yeah. even on top of the uh, leaves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, supposedly he was described as muddy and bloody at one point by one witness. And so, uh, you know, that that would, I think, make a little bit more sense to me as far as why they couldn't, they didn't find it or they didn't see it initially. But does it concern you, though, that according to the defense, I think in some of their paperwork or in their statements that they've um, said that they don't have pictures of the of the ammunition in the ground or anything. They just have a bullet afterwards, after it was dug up. Well, if you follow that thought process, the only way that uh, they don't have pictures of it is, is that it wasn't recovered by the CSI team, first or second. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, because if it was recovered by a CSI team that failed to follow protocols and proper documentation, overall view shots, the mid-range views, the close-up, the placards, the recovery process, then uh, they're going to have a hard day on the stand also. You see, those are the things that I find concerning. And and you're right. That means that it wasn't a CSI guy. Then it's probably, if they opened up the scene, you know, I'm assuming that you're probably going to have a lot of people going in and looking for things, you know, um, podcasters, you know, investigators, journalists, the whole nine yards. Is it possible that one of those guys found it and they notified, you know, law enforcement and, you know, they go out there and that's the reason for the second time that they secure the scene. I think that's possible. And if they did go back um, and whoever found the bullet, uh, they would have been taken back to the scene. And if if it was found by CSI, of course, we should have documentation from photography and a evidence sheet of what is there. But if it was picked up, handled and then delivered to the CSI, would still go back and we'll have photographs of that area. I don't know if I sent you the images, but if that bullet was buried in the ground in some of my other images, I have that when you pull that bullet out of the ground, there's a depression there, the outline of that bullet mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, in the soil. So that you see how these bullets go back one. You see how those bullets are pressed into the ground. Well, yeah. when you pull it up, there's a void that matches that same impression. So that if they did go back and even whoever recovered it, unless they just went in there and just pulled up a handful of dirt, but if they removed it, you should still have a matching depression in the soil that could be documented that would support that this is where the bullet was found. 
That makes sense. That would be uh, that would be supporting evidence. I'm going to answer a few of these questions. I'll bring them up for you. We have some questions sure. for you. This one's from Miss Cunningham says, do you think that his attorneys not only leaked it, but if possible, destroyed any evidence? Um, his attorneys yeah. were in the discovery part of it. No, now they may have other evidence and um, the evidence that they find, they you know, that in discovery that they stand back. But they believe he's innocent. And there are certain rules that officers of the court have to go by. You can't be destroying any kind of evidence that will uh, regardless of who finds it. You know, uh, you just don't just find something and say, oh, that's bad for my client. And I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, whatever they get is probably something that the uh, the prosecution has documented anyways. Um, Jay Turkey Jaime comes in with uh, with this question, says, if the Delphi case is dismissed, can the family of the victims file a lawsuit against the law enforcement uh, for their screw up? You know, especially if it comes to light that this thing is dismissed based on the fact of the processing of the scene wasn't done correctly. I wouldn't imagine. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine that would be the case, but you never know with how our court systems are now. But I don't even see that, uh, you know, the, the courts will rule that's frivolous and other things that and there's probably standing out there somewhere of uh, certain things that occurred. Now, you'll have that. I think there's been lawsuits, whereas other victims that if law enforcement had followed proper protocols and procedures on other crime scenes and uh, that same offender went out and uh, committed that that's more of likely where uh, someone down the road that was hurt later might have an option but i don't believe on this one that would apply Couldn't that's be my so. personal opinion and of course that means nothing <laughs> <laughs> you're right uh well that's what that's for everybody that's you know commenting on this this case from afar you know it's just all opinions uh queen b comes in saying was the crime scene released and then they went back and found the bullet that's what uh court tv is alleging I'm not sure how true that is or not. Uh, I would assume, you know, given their credibility and, and, you know, how they investigate crimes, that is probably accurate. But, um, you know, it, it hasn't been for sure. Uh, NH Mountain says, would the team use metal detectors on site? How soon do you think when you have a crime scene like this, should a metal detector be on site? And is a metal detector something that maybe perhaps they didn't have access to right away, given the size of the of the uh, law enforcement that's there in that small area. We used them um, looking for sometimes uh, trying to find either a bullet that was used in a homicide or something that might have passed through a victim. Um, but um, those are usually towards the end of it uh, because to use a metal detector, you're all through the crime scene and mm -hmm. you'll need to process areas under the victims near other evidence. And because it, there's certain grid patterns that you have to walk that whatever your search pattern that you're using, that as you walk that grid, you know, you don't, other people are performing certain acts and looking for things. And, um, but it would be one of the later processes of uh, the crime scene. And I would imagine now that doesn't say that you can't use a metal detector that once you've done a visual inspection of a path toward the victim, that there's nothing wrong with that. If you have the time and you want to run a metal detector, as you walk towards that to look for certain things, just like this, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody processes crime scenes. You're trained to do it a certain way. If you think that, hey, um, you find a, a bullet 30 or 50 feet away from the crime scene and it's just openly exposed or exposed, that, hey, there may be other bullets along the uh, path. Mm -hmm. Then you work it at the early stages of as you walk towards your victims. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways. And not everybody processes crime scenes in a set order. Everybody has because you're, the crime scene itself would dictate 
the order in a lot of ways. If the bullet is pressed in, you know, one of the biggest questions is, you know, would there be touch DNA or fingerprints on that cartridge or that unspent round? And given the fact that the the person who would have had to have put that round in the magazine, which would have been him pushing the finger, uh, pushing it with his finger, would would the ground and it being pressed into the ground uh, destroy that evidence or manipulate it? Well, tomorrow, um, these rounds that I recovered last week, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to process them. Uh, they still have, they have dry dirt on them. Um, I'm going to process them um, of these four rounds here I recovered last week. And I'm recovering some more with fresh dirt to um, simulate not only a, a bullet's been left out for multiple days, but even if law enforcement recovered it that first day and processed it, what would those fingerprint uh, uh, possibilities be? Would they be ridge detail? Is it this bullet that they're looking at? Is that the source of the partial fingerprint? Because there's not, but at crime scenes, outdoor crime scenes in the woods, there's very limited amount of things that you can get a partial fingerprint from. That's either skin or some type of metal surface, weapon, bullet, unspent round, spent round, those uh, type surfaces. Well, the, the defense is claiming that there was a symbol drawn that you know resembled an f on, on a tree and they suspect it was drawn i'm assuming with the fingers could there be anything that can be pulled out out of that you know whether it be mixture dna that they can separate or a fingerprint out of the blood certain blood you know blood of course has certain characteristics to it and you can leave if if it's at a certain drying process part if the blood had been there a while and you touch a semi-dried wet almost plastic type of, of, of blood print, you can have a transfer ridge detail into it. But you can also, if you had the right, you know, there's some barks and trees out there. It's almost like paper that um, uh, it's possible that you might, uh, it'd be a long shot, but it's possible that uh, you could get a bloody transfer print of ridge detail. Don't know. Have no idea. No idea about the mixture aspect of it. Like if they, could they tell that, you know, I, I, obviously they, they found Libby's blood, but if somebody put their hand in there, would there be a yeah. mixture of DNA in that blood? You never know. I mean, different people shed. We don't know if he had gloves on. We don't know if it, if he wasn't wearing gloves. We uh, we don't know if he, with his um, uh, bloody hands, touched his face and then touched the uh, tree or touched them. Uh, there could be all different types of mixtures of DNA. We have another question here from Lynn. She says, were, were these weighted tip toward the tip so that they fall downward? I'm, I'm not sure. If, would that make a difference if they were weighted towards the tip? Well, when I, uh, in the first uh, uh debris of the bullets laying on top of the uh, of the uh, leaves mm-hmm. if you could go back a few photos these oh those uh, the ones i was at yeah yeah uh, those i dropped those from waist high and you can see how they landed um they pretty well uh, you've got the uh, nickel there at the bottom uh to the left if you go to the left uh, and you'll ah, see there it there. is uh-huh. <laughs> it's hard to see <laughs> yeah but i dropped these and this is how they landed and i photographed them to show you different aspects. This is before I stepped on them. But even after I stepped on them, they still didn't disappear. You don't think that there's a possibility that one could be stepped in where it goes straight down, you know, uh, tip first? Yeah, you know, uh, anything's possible. Um, yeah. You know, it, um, and it could be. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, if it landed right, um, these here, I didn't. But um, i tell you what I'll do. I'll um, do that. I've got other tests. Uh, let me uh, see how, uh, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good-sized fella. I'll take the boot and uh, I'll step on one and see um, uh, how much effort it takes to uh, press that bullet into a, a, a straight down that would penetrate the leaf patterns and go in um, to the ground. That's a great question, a great test. And that's the other thing you mentioned. You know, you said you're 
a larger guy. Richard Allen isn't, you know, I don't th- I think at the time he may have been 200 pounds you know, somewhere around there. Is that enough force to, to, well, to, to do something like this? Well, regardless, it, it, it will all equate out pretty much uh, by the time that you look at, you know, I got extremely large feet, but uh, it depends on um, how much weight is scattered out or how large of a surface, mm-hmm. um, you know, he may be 180 pounds and, uh, whatever his weight distribution for a half inch of his sole would be. But we'll we'll experiment and see how hard it is. And I'll get Mrs. Steve to step on it also and um, whenever she gets here. And we'll find out uh, what the difference is. Because like I said, when you have a bigger tread, that's how these track hoes and things work. That when you have large tracks and large treads, you can disperse the weight over a larger area. And so mm-hmm. with smaller shoes smaller tracks you can um, um, have a almost equal amount of pressure even between different size humans versus the size of their um, as their weight is dispersed over their footprint see what i'm saying yeah 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 no i get that 100 percent uh i don't know the answer to this one i'm not sure if you do uh too much mom ask if there was uh skin under the fingernails of any of the victims um, I don't know, but that is, um, I think uh, there's been references made about that uh, during the uh, uh, services that uh, people noted that there was discoloration in the fingernails. And that's a normal process that fingernail uh, scrapings, fingernail clippings, they occur because if there's any signs of a struggle, that is where it is collected by the uh, victims. And mm-hmm. um, that's what we look for. We want them to be able to, uh, that if we have the chance that they made contact, with a uh, skin area that they collected those skin cells. Alicia asks, for those that have seen the crime scene, uh, were there a lot of leaves that the bullets could have been under? From my understanding, it was, it was very similar to this type of it scenery. It is. I've seen them. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. So like uh, about this amount of leaves, this is obviously cleared there, but let me pull up like right here. This is pretty much what I understand it looked like. But, but a during a struggle, you could have some bare areas or you could have, you know, you're talking about in February, uh, there could have been areas that were exposed due to other animal activities. I don't know what uh, they, uh, what type of animals are in the areas, uh, from deer scrapes to hogs to um, that uh, could expose some earth. I just don't know cattle, horses. I don't know what all access. I know that area is fenced in, in certain areas, and it. I don't know which animals have access to it. And Jay Turkey asks, are, are metal detectors used in crime scenes in rural areas? So, again, I think the question I'd asked earlier. Given the size of Delphi, you know, a population of 3,000 people, Carroll County is probably in charge of, you know, a couple of different areas there. Do you think that maybe perhaps it was uh, not available or do you think that maybe perhaps they didn't use the the metal detector because at the time, you know, they only were aware of, you know, the knife injuries to the body and didn't see any evidence of a gun being used? At some point, they would have looked at those videos of what Libby took. And so they know a gun at some point, I, I imagine, mm-hmm. uh, or it's been referenced that, hey, he's got a gun or something. But right. I expect that they realized or knew. It doesn't mean that they um, expect to find a bullet. And even if they found a bullet, I think some rumors are that they thought at first it was law enforcement and uh, they would have been a process trying to eliminate that. The resources that you have all these agencies there, you have all these personnel from um, across uh, this region. There's going to be someone, even if it's privately um our department never owned a metal detector, uh, but we had people, we live here in the South, and we have a lot of people that are Civil War uh, enthusiasts that uh, go out and metal detect all the time. And so you have those that you can contact these people and say, hey, 
uh, you mind to come in here and it's almost like you, uh, uh, you know, if you don't have the trained personnel, you make do with what you got to make sure you cover those bases. What do, what do you think? It's, what do you think is going to happen? You think uh, you think they're going to they're going to dismiss it? Do you think they got a case, or do you think that uh, this is just a, a speed bump and and they'll move forward? They'll move forward. It'll move forward. I think so yeah. too. Yeah. No I matter think- what they throw out, we're at the point that um, unless that uh, judge gives a directed uh, a verdict of some type, um, that they're going to go forward. And um, now, if the judge says, "Well, you can't have this, you can't have this, and uh, uh, you can't uh, uh, get this bullet in." Because there's still going to be a lot of hearings um, as we move through these uh, uh, stages of uh, prepping for trial. You know, one last thing about the Delphi case before we move forward on to, to Idaho and Brian Koberger's case. The other thing that we do know that the, the perpetrator touched was the clothing. You know, at least one of them was redressed in the clothes of the other victim. Is there, if any, can you get, what kind of DNA or evidence, if any, can you get off of, uh, off of clothing? that somebody may have manipulated or, or handled? Well, regardless of where we're at now in technology, at some point, like I said, Lacard's principle says that you bring something to the scene, you take something away from the scene. And anything that you touch, uh, we may not have the technologies, and we may already be there. We may have the technologies that we can find that DNA, and uh, they may have it. I believe that they have. They may not have found it yet. You know, I, I sent an airbag off that was contaminated with the offender's DNA to the lab three to five times before they were able to isolate our uh, offender uh, DNA profile and mm-hmm. because you can't see it. And, but that DNA was there from the time that airbag made contact with that offender to mm-hmm. the time that uh, uh, they finally recovered. It. And uh, it just took multiple times. And that may be what with this clothing that we have, you know, there's nothing saying that the offender wasn't injured and may have that they just haven't processed the right blood transfer yet. Uh, did they, did they swab Richard Allen? I think that would be a pretty good indication whether or not there was DNA there. Um, I, yes, I think, they, you know, there was other people that they collected in the early days, uh, other creators that was uh, mentioned as suspects that mm-hmm. said that they were uh, uh, DNA uh, swabs were uh, taken from them. So, yes, they would have, uh, you know, if you're doing it for possible suspects or persons of interest, you'll do it when you finally identify one. This one came in from Kyle. This is more of a comment. Uh, it says, personally, I know that there were no people that went to the scene 15th or 16th. I can't remember the exact date now. There wasn't any law enforcement keeping an eye on it, just taped off. Many locals weren't went there. Uh, does that sound accurate? I, w- I wasn't covering this case early on. It, was it pretty loosely secured? I haven't uh, uh, spoken to anyone that was there within those early days, as you sp- uh, speak of. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally, that's the last thing that we take. Um, if we leave in tape up, we're leaving an officer to guard that <laughs> that area. But uh, you just don't leave tape up and then walk away from it. Um, that's something. That's a procedure I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'm not the same thing. You know, they may have been watching it from a distance, hoping maybe somebody would come back, maybe look around, look at something they, you know, look for something they you shouldn't be looking for. You know if that, I mean? And if that's the case, it's not unsecured. You're, you're you're there. You're watching it. You're looking at. You're. It's a strategy to see if the offender returns to the crime. From watching that uh, interview, um, it doesn't see. I, I think her name is McDonald or something. And Glenna asks, "Was the crime was the crime scene frozen the ground?" I, I don't know. I know it was a 45, 41 degree yeah. day at that time. You know, um, if it was that cold in the evening. It's covered in leaves. Would that insulate the ground and keep it frozen longer, the leaf coverage and or, you know, that temperature of 41 degrees, is that high enough to unfreeze the ground if it's frozen overnight? I think I looked at, uh, I think it, 
it wasn't that it got below freezing that much or for that long because it takes quite a while of even freezing temperatures to get the ground down to be absolutely frozen and hard to contact. I don't know if it uh, hit that, but I have those uh, weather reports and I'll see how long the uh, the window would have been for the ground to freeze. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I, all I know is that it was a, a normal warm day. Angel asked, was Libby's phone, was that was it was found and where was it found in the previous question? I, I believe it was found, wasn't it found under one of them? I believe so. If he moved the bodies and staged them and, and dragged them to their, their spot, do you think that he put the phone underneath them on purpose? I don't believe so. I think that uh, he would have probably dropped it. You know, how many phones have I dropped that I put in my front shirt pocket? And if you looked at some of my phones, you could see I've dropped, dropped one of them numerous times. I, I think it would have just been something, you know, it could have been something that's part of his strategy that I'll leave the phone here. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want it on my person. He may have been wise enough to know that if that phone's on and if it's pinging, I can't carry it with me. And oh, that's true. It, it means nothing to me here. And so just leave it. Yeah, because apparently, and, and Rebecca Ann asked this, it was pinging all over Delphi um, at one point. Uh, I did. A, I went out there and did those ping tests. Mrs. Steve pinged me with um, find my phone. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely amazing what occurred while we were doing those tests. And uh, I would move um, sometimes 10 feet and it would ping me within a five mile area. And it would show me that I could be anywhere from Delphi itself to the crime scene. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Sometimes it would show that I moved 100 yards when I only moved 50 feet. Um, oh, wow. And, some, and sometimes it was correct. It showed me exactly. Always been concerned about those um, uh, pings and uh, because in the FBI affidavit, it's very general. In the area near those pings of what we did with our, I think I did those in um, last year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Good deal. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I need to go mm -hmm. check that out. Or um, or how do, how does a crime scene investigator decide the, the size of the scene to search distance from the victims? Yeah. Well, of course, if the search crew went there, we have to isolate. You, know, you have your victims. You have your uh, check for signs of life. Um, and then you secure the scene. And then you look for the obvious trails. How did someone get to this scene? Mm -hmm. And how did we secure those? And, you know, you can have that uh, a very large scene and you always you know you have your first line that when we first got here that this is what we secured and then you double it and you may even have a third uh, area that you keep people out of so that there's no possibility that anyone's going to be walking those trails uh, and you know possibly uh, destroying evidence of where the uh, offender either brought the victims in or how he escaped the area so it's it's a play-by-play -play, you know it there's no set rule about how big in the area. It's always better to over <laughs> and uh, lock down as large an area as you can get by with. Yeah. So, uh, you do a lot of things. You keep that crime scene out of the eye of the public and of the offender. He doesn't know what you found. He, does, he doesn't have access because some of these offenders can get um, uh, lost in the looky-loos. Yeah, that's true. That's some great information and, and great stuff. I mean, I got some more questions. I'm looking to see the answers to some of the questions that I have with the experiments that you have coming forward. <clears throat> you said that a few of those will be done this week. Can you? Uh, yes, I, I'll have a again? show. Yeah, I'll have a show uh, um, uh, Saturday. Uh -huh. And um, just let me know what you need and I'll send it to you. Awesome. Well, I'll be watching and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll do this again once we get the results. 